Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. I just want to read to you today. Is that okay? I have five, I see five bookmarks in this little book. It's due at the library soon, and I want to read these to you before I return it. This book was a fun little find. I checked out maybe 20 poetry books and liked perhaps four of them. And this was one that I really enjoyed. The book itself is called Going to Seed. Dispatches from the Garden by Charles Goodrich, who, where I live, is a semi-local poet. He lives in Oregon. These are prose poems. They look like tiny paragraphs. Some of them are a few tiny paragraphs together in one poem. And most of them, as the title might lead you to understand, are about gardening. It's extra fun to read gardening poems from local poets because everything seems so familiar. Everything's happening at the same time of year, the same sorts of crops do well, the same sort of weather blessings and problems are in your life if you're talking to somebody who's a local gardener. And of course he ties gardening together with life and writing and a lot of other things that are more than just gardening, but they have a rootedness in the earth and the fruits and vegetables that he talks so much about. And I like this guy. I really like his personality and his take and his attitude. I bet by the end of the ones I chose to read to you today, you'll have a feeling for him too. And maybe he'll be a new poetry friend of yours. This book is organized into five sections. I thought this was kind of fun. It's no new thing to organize a book into seasons, but this is how he has his summer, fall, winter, spring, and then summer again. I'll read you one from each section. So we'll start with summer. This one's called Teepee. I cut seven bamboo poles and tie them together at the neck then spread their feet around the bean hill and push each pole deep into the ground. Strung with twine, it's a trellis and a secret. Later, when the beans have climbed the poles and grown a skin of green over the teepee, I hide inside, watching the honeybees sip at the bean flowers. The chickadees don't know that I'm spying on them as they pluck the seeds from my sunflowers. Wary of our dog, but ignorant of me, the neighbor's tabby pads through the lettuce. My wife leans out the back door and calls a name. It used to be my name, but not today. I love that. You're never too old to build a fort and hide in it and ignore people who try to call you into the house. Okay, let me go into fall. This one's called Crow. Oh, crows. 
There are a lot of crow poems out there. I've written a crow poem or two. So I was impressed that this poem called Crow, about a crow, still managed to move me and entertain me. It's quite short. It goes like this. Still thinking about that crow I saw flying over the park this morning. He kept stalling in mid-flight and falling a couple of feet before he would flap his wings and fly again. And he was crying out over and over in a wretched, faltering voice. You know those crow calls, the grouchy command, the simpering whine, the gargle, the shout. Well, this was different, full of heartbreak or woe. If he were my friend, I'd be worried about him. Okay, I'm not going to move on to winter yet because I don't want to skip this one. Ooh, I like this one. It's called Garden Noir. Now, I am completely fine with poems that romanticize gardening and spring. It doesn't get old. It just really is special every time when spring comes back and you get to plant again, or even if you're lazy and don't plant anything, the earth will do amazing things all by itself. But I like this unromantic gardening poem because man, things can get frustrating. And this one speaks to that with humor. It goes like this, Garden Noir. Damn, the squashes have crossed again. This one is supposed to be an acorn squash, but it looks like a billy club with warts. How far apart do I have to keep these plants? Some vegetables have no shame. And look at this, telltale spots on the tomato leaves. Under my pocket magnifier, pretty yellow rings with dead tissue in the center. Necrosis caused by who knows what, a virus, a fungus, a mutant pathogen, probably infectious. Better rip up the whole lot before it spreads to the peppers. Listen, you've got to be tough to grow vegetables. Tough, smart, and a little bit mean. Because plants are headstrong and narcissistic, prey to all the sins of the flesh. They'll strangle each other when you aren't looking. Make no mistake, in the quest for food, beauty, and truth, a lot of creatures are going to get hurt. Isn't that fun? Okay, I'm ready for winter now. And I, I like this one too. I like um, finding this poem about the overripe, um, rotting, very end of fall garden. It actually is one of my favorite times in the garden. It's so graveyardy and skeletony and gross, and you're just really sick of the garden by the time that comes. But there's a beauty in it too. And he captured that in this one called Black Tomato. Even before I'm fully awake, my skin registers how cold the house is. Cold moonlight seeps in around the closed curtains. The cold world's little sounds are frost muffled too. The ticking of lumber shrinking in the walls. Scritch of bamboo against the windows. Thud of a car door down the street. 
I am coldly pleased. Autumn has limped on too long. The garden sputtering out tasteless tomatoes, bitter bell peppers, tough-skinned crooknecks. Weary of harvest, fed up with stoop labor, I still feel duty-bound to eat everything, cracked radishes, beetle-bitten green beans, and the final slug-riddled cabbage. I want the whole garden executed. I bundle up and go outside. The garden is flocked. Every surface of leaf and stem is furred white with a fine-woven, tightly-fitted shroud. I snap a frozen tomato from the vine. As it thaws in my hand, I squeeze it into mush. Okay, here's spring. It's coming around. This one's called Mudding in Peas, and I couldn't resist the mashup of gardening and writing that he puts together in this guy. Again, three little paragraphs. Courting the muse is not like sowing peas. You can sit quietly all through February, pencil in hand, quivering with attention for hours on end, and you may or may not be given a poem. But you sure won't grow any peas. For peas, you must leave your desk, step into your boots, and go out to the garden. You will be on the cusp of winter, a bite to the air, the soil barely awake. Hard to believe any seed would want to be sown this early. But now your faith in the muse pays off. Your long apprenticeship to whatever happens prepares you to believe in the genius of a pea. The seed is ready and you are ready to assist it. And you have a pencil, perfect for dibbling the holes. Let's see, did I miss one? Oh, no. Summer again. There's two more. I'm going to read two more, okay? I told you I had a lot today, but there's a lot of good ones in here. I'm about to lose this book, so this will be my way to preserve some of these for the future. This one's called Sunstruck. Slaughtering weeds in the afternoon heat, hoeing and raking, stooping and tugging, I suddenly get lightheaded and nauseous, feel like I'm going to faint. I lie down in the path beside the tomato cages, my heart thumping, sweat pouring off my face. From the house, I hear my son calling, Dad! And now he's standing at the end of the row, looking down at me. He's 14 often embarrassed by my uncool ways. And yet he's still just a boy with a fuzz of adolescent beard and a shadow of worry on his face. Dad, are you okay? My head has quit spinning. My heartbeat is back on pace. From down here, I can see dozens of green tomatoes the size of walnuts dangling from the vines. Yeah, I tell him, I'm okay. I'm just working on my tan. I'd like to rest here a little longer, gathering courage from those hard green fruits. But he reaches out his hand and I let him haul me up.
You know, there's actually a lot going on in these. There's a lot going on in that one, I think. I have an almost 14-year-old boy, and I tell you, there's stuff under the surface of that poem. Just re-listen and see if you can figure it out. All right, here's the last one. Wild Geese. A last summer poem, okay? Wild Geese. I'm picking beans when the geese fly over. Blue Lake pole beans, I figure to blanch and freeze. Maybe I'll pickle some dilly beans. And there will be more beans to give to the neighbors, forcibly, if necessary. The geese come over so low, I can hear their wings creak, can see their tail feathers making fine adjustments. They slipstream along so gracefully, riding on each other's wind, surfing the sky. Maybe after the harvest, I'll head south. Somebody told me Puerto Vallarta is nice. I'd be happy with a cheap room, rice and beans at every meal, swim a little, lay on the beach. Who are you kidding, Charles? You don't like to leave home in the winter. Spring, fall, or summer either. True. But I do love to watch those wild geese fly over, feel these impertinent desires glide through me, and then get back to work. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.